Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome once again to Junctional Thinking on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Pierre Vigilance, and welcome to the show. Junctional Thinking is a set of skills, behaviors, and ideals that all people who are in social impact, health and human services, or just community development need to have in my estimation and that of others as well in order to be functional and impactful. That set of five skills, behaviors, and ideals is being a perpetual learner, being an effective listener, not being afraid of leadership positions, being about partnership and doing all of that with a significant amount of patience and humility for the scenarios that we're engaged in. The junction is a place where a number of different sectors intersect in order to create impact. And so health is a perfect example of a space where junctional thinking is needed because health and health outcomes are driven by so much more than just health care. They're driven by housing, community development, education, transportation, just to name a few. And we're really fortunate to have a number of really great guests on the show join us to talk about their work in their particular spaces, and then we weave them into the junction to the places where we start talking about how some of those things impact health. And you may remember from last year, November, we were joined by Dr. Mady Henson, who's the CEO of the Washington Regional Association of Grant Makers, to talk about the conference that she had coming up in, I think it was, in, it was November, right? Yes. About, you know, her setting her vision for the organization and the, some of the things that they were getting into. We had a great set of conversations there. Um, and I wanted to have her back to talk a bit about some of the work that she's been getting into, um, particularly in the housing space and the affordable housing space. So we'll talk about that and also talk about how philanthropy is moving towards creating greater impact because there have been some questions over the years about what is, how much does philanthropy actually do and wanting to impact that is something that I know Dr. Henson is really, really about, especially in her role now and has always been throughout her career. So, Dr. Henson, thank you very much thank for joining you. me again on the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you again, um, you know, Dr. Vigilance. But, um, Pierre, you and I have known each other for a number of years right. and uh, have enjoyed the conversations around uh, looking at what's happening across the region uh, and looking at uh, and connecting with those that are, are interested in making an impact. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, you know, you, the, the you know, junction thinking is is such an incredible topic area it, to talk about you know very few things in this world or in life uh, that are really meaningful or single or siloed right um, that things have to intersect um, yep. to really really get at where we're wanting to get to and so 
you know, I see my role, um, you know, as the as the leader of the Washington Regional Association of Grant Makers, which is a a group of uh, 110 uh, funders. It is grant makers. It is those that are from the foundation arena, private, public uh, foundations, as well as corporate giving programs. Uh, and it is a cross section. It is a diverse group of those philanthropic. Um, individuals and organizations who want to make a difference uh, here in this region. And, and, and there is so much about this junction uh, in the work that they do. The, it is cutting across what's happening, the critical issues that are there. But for many of them, they recognize the greater impact you can get as we look at things not in a silo, but again, right. as we look at the intersection of things coming together. Absolutely. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, from a health perspective, you know, health is impacted by almost everything that we do. You know, some of those things that, you know, we look at from, you know, the, the medical side of it, but, you know, from food insecurity and what's happening around that to, you know, which impacts, you know, many of the, the illnesses and challenges that we have. But housing is also critically important and linked um, to the issues around health and those social determinants that sometimes right. get into the middle of this. And so, you know, in this region, it is it is it is actually exciting but interesting because you do have, you know, a different climate and thinking about uh, the redevelopment of housing. How so? And from the standpoint that you have commitments um, by, you know, clearly locally here within the District of Columbia, but also, you know, across across the region, um, by the government entities, but also, you know, having pulled in developers to to um, look at how are we really developing housing um, that will be healthier, um, but also will be affordable. And mm -hmm. so one of those things and one of those challenges that uh, we're a part of um, through a group called the Housing Leaders Group. Uh, it is a, a, a is this capital region housing challenge. It is a billion dollar challenge right. um, that was launched out of the Housing Leaders Group, and that billion dollar challenge is really a multi faceted regional effort. Um, to really secure a billion dollars of new capital commitments that will go into housing affordability here in this region. And that's public and private that funds. That is public right? and private funds. And really, ideally, the, the concept was let's come in jointly, that privately, and uh, there would be 50% of those funds. Let's look at how do we raise that challenge. And then and meeting 50% of that coming from public funds. Uh, it is an enormous effort. Um, that is well on its way. It started in um, last year. Right. In 19, it was a commitment to look at going through um, 2020. Uh, and so when you look at, you know, what has come to the table, and it's it's not one specific uh, effort, one initiative that's happening. It really was a challenge to invite everybody to come to this table with new ideas, with new capital to go um, into this pool that says we recognize that housing and housing affordability is important. And in addition to what you may have already been thinking about, we want you to ante up on that. So let me ask you <clears throat> if we could excuse me. <clears throat> take people back a little bit because mm -hmm. if when people think about affordability in housing yeah. certainly Washington DC is not top of that list it's, it's not a very affordable yeah. place to live and has become increasingly unaffordable Absolutely. not just Washington DC itself but mm -hmm. spreading out into the surrounding counties yeah. 
um, that unaffordability is sort of spreading out. Um, but people might think of, say, cities like a Detroit or other places as places where there's a greater, quote-unquote, need for affordable housing. Can you talk a bit about how you sort of pivot people's minds to understanding the need for affordability even in seemingly affluent communities? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting. I don't go anywhere that when you say the the topic of housing affordability that almost everybody doesn't raise up and raise right. their hand, okay? Mm -hmm. Regardless of where they are on the continuum. So even those that are, you know, well-resourced are still challenged oftentimes with feeling like this isn't affordable. But more specifically, how do you have a challenge that actually gets to the core of, and we're talking about, if we're looking at AMI, we're talking about zero and really the 120, AMI. How do you make AMI, that? AMI, for some of our guests who may not know what AMI is. Well, so AMI really, without getting very technical with folks, it is a term that you'll hear folks talking about all along, but it really talks about your ability to afford. So, and so it's the, it's the income that's sitting out there. What does it take to really live? What does it take to really afford? And so basically people are talking about, you know, you, you, can, you can talk about and you do need to quantify where along that continuum right. are you really targeting. Right. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about affordability, there are those that may be at zero percent of that ABI. I don't have any income coming in. Where am I going to live? Right, right. You know, up to those that you know may be at um, you know the the you know a hundred percent of that. But clearly, there are efforts and and um, that are going on along the continuum. And what we are doing through the Housing Leaders Group uh, through this Capital Region Housing Challenge, and that's working in concert with a host of other organizations that are out. There. Um, you know, enterprise and city development and uh, when we like talk about the Council of Governments even right. and, and their efforts. So folks are around this table talking about how do we actually put together plans around that? How do we get everybody galvanized around this to make sure that as we're developing that we're thinking about everyone along that AMI continuum and that there will be a place to live. I think intentionally here in the region, uh, you have those who don't want us to go the way of a San Francisco mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and Silicon Valley, who are literally people cannot get back into that market at all. Right. And so, you know, you know, so much is happening as we talk about the transformation of our communities across this region within the district, as well as right on the outside of that district of the district. But in addition to that, it is saying that let's carve out places to ensure that folks can still live here. And even if they are not, how are we making sure that there's some intentionality to the development of what that housing is? Right. Is it on a track that there is even transportation right. options? Mm -hmm. And so you recently held, heard the Council of Governments, they you know, basically announced their plan in working with the 11 jurisdictions, that every jurisdiction right now is working on this massive plan, it, it, that it feeds into this challenge that really is talking about we need how many additional housing units do we need? Uh, what percentage of those units actually need to be affordable in that? And where are those being placed? And so you hear a 75, 75, 75. So they're talking about the percentages, the number of housing units that they need, the percentage of them that should be affordable, and the percentages of those that are going to be in regions and areas that are going to be e 
easy for them to actually access the rest. So are you along a transportation track? If you are living here, how are you getting back and forth to get into work and work and navigate this? It is a massive, I think, effort. It's an integrated effort. It comes, it goes across sector in this process. And, and uh, in philanthropy, we're excited to be at the forefront of that, right. uh, to be in some cases driving, but clearly supporting in every way we can the efforts around that. And that's with that billion dollar challenge. It was not just talking about it, but stepping up to the plate and recognizing that, you know, 50% of this, we are out there pushing, you know, within our own sectors, within our own space to say private funding, uh, how do we get to this? Because because we care about it, and also partnering with that government and public funds to make sure that this can happen. So that is a real, I would say, an effort that I, you know, we want people to know more about. You're going to start hearing more about. There is a communications campaign that we'll be unleashing within the next month or so that you'll okay. start hearing more about it. This is a, a preview for those who haven't been in the work with right. it. But it is exciting, but it also gives a place for many of us to jump in. And so how does that mean jumping in? I mean, if you're, you know, philanthropic, if you've got some funds that you want to invest in that, there clearly are opportunities, uh, opportunities mm-hmm. to do that. There are others that are saying, I just want to support organizations that may be out here helping with those efforts and identifying, you know, the populations and helping to support that, but also where that gets in. I'm out here working to make sure that there are systems that are in place that those systems will help to facilitate this movement. Um, but from a regional perspective, it is pretty exciting to be a part of an effort um, that is at this level. And we're moving the needle around this versus having sat back and just waited until it's all gone. Right. And then try to figure out, oh, how, how do we how do we in. get it back? How do we how do we carve in some space for this? Right. right. Yeah. So as you look at there's these sort of hear people talk about these four pillars mm-hmm. of impact with respect to housing, and, and the four pillars that people often talk about is sustainability, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, from a from the environmental perspective to some extent, as well as from the perspective of um, how do we ensure that this housing stays around, mm-hmm. right? And then you've got the affordability piece that you've already spoken mm-hmm. to. You've got this equity lens mm-hmm. that we sort of have to look at as well, and then the whole livability piece to it as well. As you and your partners look at creating impact, I know the affordability piece is big. I get that. Mm-hmm. You just talked about people being able to get to work. And that's sort of, to some extent, the livability piece. Mm -hmm. But as work changes Mm -hmm. and as people at different sort of um, in different industries are going to be, some of them are going to be potentially not in work Mm -hmm. because of changes that are coming. How do you anticipate being able to sustain affordable housing in, in areas where the pull from the market rate return gang, if you will, the developer who wants to get market return because they can get a significant amount more income from developing a place at market rate than they can from affordable house, from affordable rates or workforce housing. How do you anticipate being able to sustain in a market that really enjoys the returns that come from 
market rate returns. Yeah. You know, and, and as I said, there, there are many folk that are in the middle of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And particularly even as we talk about the junction and the intersection of, of even government and as we talk about, you know, from whether it talks about the policies that are in, right. in that okay, and what, what is driving some of that, go. what are creating new opportunities for developers to, to make the decision that, you know, it is a good business decision to actually uh, develop in this space. And uh, clearly there are some creative things that are happening. I know uh, clearly within the District of Columbia Mm -hmm. that's incentivizing those developers to to be engaged in this work, but as well as in some of the other surrounding uh, municipalities as well. So policy is one of those things. And so I, you know, I think that as we, you know, we just want to encourage that conversation, that creative thinking around that because you're right and without that without whether it's TIFs or some other things that are sitting out there to incentivize this you are going to have folks who are going to say it, it, it doesn't make sense for me to do this right and so even those developers that have it you know you know if they are philanthropic in nature uh, you also there's a business component to this work and so how do you create the intersection between the right. two Absolutely. and that is where you see you know that's not just about the will of what philanthropy wants to do, but right. that is where you really see a lot about policy and initiative that's coming in that's actually driving and incentivizing that. Right. And that will get also to the sustainability component yes. of this, because if you even look at you know some of those programs that have been initiated in across this all the jurisdiction, our tri-state area um, that's here in this process, you've got you know those efforts that are helping to incentivize new home ownership in that process. Uh, that's about policies that are sitting out there. That's incentivized. It's encouraging not only the housing component, but also the ability for those to get into this space right. and to be able to stay in this space based on income and where they are in that process. And so that is, you know, as we talked about in the beginning, it is not a one size fits all. No. And it clearly is not a one effort or one entity or one sector that's going to fix right. this it really is sitting down and saying if this is our goal and this is what we want and we do want a diverse community of folk right. where people can all be at this table that it will not become a single monolithic looking dc then that is going to require us to do some things differently. And so that is what I will say. And I think there's you know, pushes that are coming from a lot of different places. Absolutely. Um, but I also will say that I've seen there's will that's out there that's coming cross sector to, to look at how do we do this. So again, as I said, not that we will become a Silicon Valley or even a New York, which I was just there this weekend, you know, who can live in Manhattan at this point in time? Right. Okay, so and and so intentionally, there are efforts to say we do want there to be a diverse right. population of folks in D.C. Right. And some of this has gotten away from us at this point right. before we were even paying attention to right. that. Exactly. And exactly. so and so at this stage of the ball game, you know, I think there are some some breaks that have stopped in some places. There is some different conversations. There are new policies that are being put into place. But there's also the fact of saying, so how do we also step up 
into um, being a part of this and having a voice around this table, because I think it takes all of us saying it is important that that there be diversity in who sits here. And when you talked about the question around equity, you know, equity is a part of that. It well, is, you kind of defined it just now when you yeah. said it doesn't it's not a one size fits all. That's right. And by definition, equity, an equity approach or approaches that embrace equity are that they mm-hmm. understand that, that there is not one size that necessarily fits all, yeah. that different groups, yes. different groups on the development side of it, different mm-hmm. groups on the consumer side of it require different things to be true for them to engage or different things for them to actually want to be involved as as buyers yeah. in, in any of these situations. So you've, you've touched on that really well. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and I, I think the other part for us, you know, here within within our organization, you know, the Washington Region Association of Grantmakers, we've been pushing not only just the word equity, we've been pushing racial equity. Okay. We've been pushing that you know, to say that cannot be out of the forefront here in this region, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there are some things happening if by race that we want to make sure that right. in fact we in fact become the voice of we can call attention to and we can ensure that folks are stopping looking at so when you're thinking about how I'm doing what am I doing you're disaggregating you need to be looking at who is it impacting if we look at the displacements and what's happened in this community I mean we all know that DC used to be called the chocolate city right. where we uh, can't necessarily claim that as much uh, in this and it'll be interesting with the census of 2020 will reveal to as, to, as right. to where that needle is on that but what we do know is that the population has changed and what we also know is that there are some folks who have lived here their entire lives and there's a legacy from you know their families who no longer can be here and so with that process when you talk about the equity component of it it is also recognizing that there is also an importance to make sure that those who have called dc home can also still call it home. Right. And so uh, so you, there are some very intentional conversations that are happening. There is, um, you know, calling some folks on the table around how are we making sure that we're thinking about that. There are seniors who, you know, have been in their homes and, and want to stay in their homes, and how do we keep this homestead there? And so that's where I said bringing into that there are a number of things that have creatively come in from policy perspectives and others that are trying to help make sure that this stays and can become a diverse environment and at the same time recognizing that we're in the nation's capital and it should be one of the most progressive places in the country Mm -hmm. and in the world Uh, and we can do that and we can do it differently right right so if we want to sort of unpack some of these things a bit and you talked about a few different elements here one being that the power of a public-private partnership is that not only does it have the sort of the business enterprise notions baked into it, but it also has policies and procedures that are municipal in nature, hopefully equity and equality sort of based policies that are agreed upon by not only elected officials, but the people who who put those people in place. So you've got an, an intentional approach to partnership that is multifaceted, yes. right? And then you've got this other element which you brought up, which is something that we're going to talk about just in a couple of minutes when we come back from the break, which is you mentioning putting the brakes on 
or stopping to pay attention to certain elements of things. And this is sort of, we've talked about this before on the show, the idea of being patient and not necessarily trying to get everything done right at once because it may not be the right time for it and having to take the time to pump the brakes, slow certain processes down, understand why certain things need to happen, when they need to happen and for whom and bringing the right people in in order to facilitate some of that conversation. So when we come back in a couple minutes, and the voice you've been listening to is that of Dr. Mady Henson, who is the CEO of the Washington Regional Association of Grant Makers, and we are on full-service radio broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. This is the Junctional Thinking Podcast, and I'm your host, Pierre Vigilance, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes.
we are back. This is Pierre Vigilance, the host of Junctional Thinking Podcast here on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us. Before we go any further, I actually do need to plug an event that's coming up. It is called Well. It is happening at the GW School of Public Health next Friday, the 28th of February from 2 to 6 p.m. It is a connection and exposure opportunity for learners, um, practitioners, entrepreneurs, and investors who are in the community health business space. These are folks who are interested in either learning from or um, talking to uh, some folks who are in business with startups in the telehealth space, uh, mental health space, and also in the um, impact evaluation space. Um, who started businesses using some of the skills that they picked up through their health training, and they are putting that to great use in communities uh, here in the local area and across the world. So the opportunity to connect and be exposed to some of these folks and inspired by their work is happening next week, Friday, the 28th of February, here in Washington, D.C. at GW School of Public Health. The event is available on Eventbrite. It is free. Um, it is called Well, W-E-L-L, uh, G-W-S-P-H. If you put those words in, you should find our um, our invitation. Um, and if not, then uh, my LinkedIn page is certainly another place to pick it up or, or on Instagram as well. So reach out if you're interested and hopefully you can join us for that. But Pivoting back to this conversation with uh, Dr. Henson, uh, we are talking to Dr. Mady Henson, who is the president and CEO of the Washington Regional Air Association of Grant Makers. And we've been talking about the uh, billion dollar housing challenge that is happening as a public private partnership here in the Washington national region. We're talking a bit about what it takes from a partnership perspective the public-private piece and why they're both important. And we were actually going to pivot a bit to this conversation about patience and, and pumping the brakes on things. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was last year when we got together and talked, you had a very strong intention at your conference to highlight and talk about the racial inequities um, and the fact that there were certain conversations that we hadn't been having in human services and philanthropy in general with respect to, we talk about equity, but we don't necessarily always talk about the 400 pound, whatever you want to call it in the room, which is the race piece. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was very grateful to be on that panel yes. um, and to hear Edgar Villanueva, yes. um, the author of Decolonizing Wealth, um, talk very candidly about some of these issues that we have with respect to who's represented even in philanthropy um, and how that representation doesn't necessarily mirror the communities that are being served by philanthropy or partnering with philanthropy. You talk a bit about how this race equity piece dovetails into this housing piece mm -hmm. and, the, and the wealth generation element of things in particular, if you wouldn't mind talking about that. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, wealth generation for many, you know, philanthropic families and individuals um, in this region came through housing. Uh, and so that's a reality that that folks recognize that they know. And I think as a result of that, 
have started to, in fact, recognize the importance of uh, or the need to also be a part of the solution of 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 changing some of what has now, you know, created some challenges for us in our community. And that's about ensuring that everybody has uh, housing that is not only healthy, but affordable, that's livable in that process. And so that wealth came from there. And so a number of our members, particularly those that are, uh, have gotten their wealth uh, through that process have now entered into this conversation around. So how do we now, in fact, look at funding some efforts uh, through, whether it is this billion dollar challenge or others to make sure that there's some more equity and who actually can still live in those houses and be a part of that. And, you know, there it is, it's not just RAG that's a part of that, uh, our organization, but also partners that we do with that and members within that. You know, one of the other important organizations, particularly around that, is, is HAND for those who may not know it, which is the Housing Association of Nonprofit Developers. And, you know, it is an enormous organization. Organization. I think over 1,200 members, uh, largely developers that are focused around, you know, what's happening within community. It, it gets to the core of, you know, how are things changing? Right. Uh, who's doing it? Where's the drive? So some of that push is actually happening clearly um, through that. Um, you know, Heather Raspberry heads that organization and does an incredible job with uh, leading her um, members through that process. Also focused on racial equity around it. And as a, as a matter of fact, one of the things that they're doing is right now deep into creating uh, a, an, an index, an indice um, that will help to measure, you know, some of those important areas that we think are important as it talks about housing and housing affordability and how does equity go in that. And in fact, their effort actually is leading into, which I know we talked briefly about um, at the at our last topic, but that, you know, all of this is moving towards a regional summit that we're going to be doing here in this region on June 11th, where we're inviting all of these forces to come together to talk about race and equity and the future of greater Washington. And out of that will come not only, you know, a mapping of assets and who's doing what and where is it happening and who can give resources around that. And, you know, how do you, in fact, have more knowledge that you need to know about this? But in addition to that, we will have a scorecard or a dashboard right. um, that we're creating, and it will have components of it, some coming from the housing arena, some coming from the health arena, some coming from the education arena, uh, as well as those other areas that in this community, when we talk about race and equity, we want to make sure that eyes can stay on it and that this is not a one-time measure. In fact, this will be more baseline this year. Right. We're talking a five-year look at is there progress that is going to be made, and how is that happening? How is and it so, moving? yeah. So, so, so the question that this sort of brings to mind is: so we had um, some folks from the social impact bond space mm-hmm. um, here, uh, from a, particularly from a company called Quantified Ventures. Have been friends of the show for a while, Eric Letzinger and company. And something that I learned from them a couple of years back was that if there isn't an intentionality with respect to collecting the right kind of data up front, then it can be very difficult to create a a social impact bond deal. And it can be difficult to create other financial deals as well if you're not collecting the right data up front. So hopefully HAND is not only getting that input from health and housing and some other places, but is also trying to figure out what information it needs to have in order for potential investors to be interested in 
sort of the metrics that they're collecting so that they can have an understanding of, well, this has changed from A to B. You have to have collected it at point A and point B. Yeah. And, and, and in addition to hand, you're exactly right. You know, it is, you know, we all know that, you know, term garbage in, garbage out. If I don't, right. if I don't put the right data in, then I'm not going to be able to pull or out what I need. if you don't collect it at all. If you don't right. collect it at all, you don't ask the questions. But there are some, I, I would say, some very, very important data collection efforts and studies going on right now. And so not only is hand engaged in it and specifically targeting housing around theirs, you also have VPP that is doing one, and they're looking at zero to 24 and so what across this region. Mm-hmm. You have Meyer Foundation that's looking at a different components of what's happening in that. And you even have the Community Foundation of Greater Washington that's engaged in what's called DMV Voices right now that's collecting data through study that will go on where you will have voices across the region that are being collected around you know what's happening in that region, what is the impact of what's going on in so collecting those things together, when I talk about what we're looking at pulling together at the summit is actually mm-hmm. bringing components of all of those and others right. that will become the most important set of metrics that we can keep our eye on, knowing that those organizations are doing really deep dives and looking at some other. And I think that's the exciting piece, because what you see now is that people are becoming much more strategic right. and they actually are looking at the research that is going to take and they're investing in. So that's a big part of the investments right now. They're investing in making sure that we're not only collecting, asking, knowing. So you can't tell movement and you can't do anything with equity if you are not measuring. Right. And you've got to be able to have a way in which you're looking at the difference in what's happening with that. So that disproportionality of what's going on, is it going down? Is it going up? So the beginning of that is, as you mentioned, is having a really sound set of data, a, a process that you're using to collect, a way in which you can continuously look at how are we improving this process. That hadn't happened to this level before. Right. And, and that's yeah. one of the differences, I would say. And here, a huge shift. And I yeah. think that's something that, because we make a lot about data. I mean, in academia, of course, people are very infatuated with data and mm-hmm. data sets. Mm-hmm. But there's there are stories behind that data. And I know that some of the organizations you mentioned are using some different engagement methods to actually get data through stories and understanding people's lived experiences as opposed to just how many times they did something or how many times they didn't do something. So that process is really an, an important part of it as well. So as you as you look at, and we had this conversation a bit with another friend of ours from the LGW class of 2010, Glenn Ogilvie, mm-hmm. who's the director yes. of the Center for Nonprofit yes. Advancement, sorry, the CEO of the Center for Nonprofit Advancement. Um, and we talked about how things have changed with respect to the relationship between um, the nonprofit and philanthropy, um, with respect to it not just being a one-way street of philanthropy gives money to the nonprofit, nonprofit says thank you, does what it does with the money, and no one's measuring anything. Now, like you're saying, there's much more intentionality about this measurement. How do you see that changing in the next few years, how philanthropy actually answers the question about impact mm-hmm. um, and because I think that I, I have an answer to that, but I definitely want to know, and I think mm-hmm. the listeners want to know from your perspective, yeah. how having all this data makes a difference in the long run to you and to the communities you serve. So what I will say is this evolution of, of, of change, of, of moving from just uh, feel good, 
um, and qualitative stories to quantitatively being able to right. to tell that story right. is something that has been emerging, has come, and it is not going to end. Um, you know, for me, my original, you know, I, I began as a business person. And right. so my orientation was around that, you know, quantitative look at what you're doing. And so for me, it was a great field. It was a good thing to do as you move that. I mean, for many of my peers, as I, you know, moved through the nonprofit sector into now philanthropy, there were those that were a little bit less comfortable around that because there was this sense that somehow you're going to give up. Uh, the good and the good feeling to go after this sense of just doing the numbers. And it can't be an either or. Right. It needs to be a both. And. It needs to be an and in that process. You've got to be able to still keep your hand on. And that's the philanthropic side of, of what are we doing? Is it making a difference? How do I know that? How do I see that? But at the same time, can I quantifiably talk about this? And that data, so you see almost every organization now, uh, whether they're going out from their grant-making side of the house or, or vice versa, or asking the questions of those that are receiving funds. Of Tell us about what is happening. Tell us how this is happening. But also quantifiably, are we collecting data? Are we, and so now organizations have become very accustomed to the fact that that's what I need. But they also, that's good for you, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can't, I can't justify what I have to do differently whether that means even me staffing up differently, right. uh, managing my organization without differently the num- without, without data. the data. Right. And so I see it as a good a movement in that process. And yet at the same time, we don't want the pendulum to swing 180 degrees right. where we lose sight of the real people and there are real places that are in the midst of this mm-hmm. and that, you know, even though I don't believe in data driving, I believe in data guiding us. That okay. data should be guiding us and that mm-hmm. if you see something coming out and that number isn't looking right, it should mean that that human being needs to get engaged in what's going on there and not just use that number, that mechanical number to say, oh my goodness, we need to go over to X. Why did that data set change? Right. What's no. behind it? And yeah. that's why I'm a big believer in data guiding. Right. Um, I like that. I like the yeah. data, data guided versus data driven. And yeah. what's important here, and I'm loving what you're saying, because this is coming... F- many of our listeners are in or have been in public health training programs Mm -hmm. where they've been taught great skills in these verticals of policy analysis and 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 policy writing maybe even uh, design monitoring and evaluation programming um, data analysis etc and being able to understand the value of some of those skills to the ventures that are nonprofits or new ventures that are trying to address some of these problems from the perspective that you just mentioned, i.e. the human resources perspective, isn't something that necessarily anybody's saying to them, this is why you this is why those numbers are important. They're being told appropriately in so many cases, those numbers are important because it's the number of people being served or it's the number of people who now have a home or have um, access to care or whatever. That's a great metric to use, but it's also about understanding how the numbers impact what capacity the organizations need to have in order to do the work Absolutely. and who the other partners maybe need to be to be able to come in and do the work too. So, I mean, I know I begin to sound like I'm trying to make everything junctional. Mm-hmm. It is. But everything is junctional, <laughs> it is. right? So right. it is about bringing it, bringing it all together. Right. We only have a couple of minutes left, yeah. and I just wanted to see if you had any sort of very sort of brief closing comments that you wanted to make about 
going forward now with respect to this housing challenge, because it's such a big piece, yes. what would you say to that? And then, then I'll close this out. You know, I, I just think, you know, in closing, just to, you know, emphasize that this is important, that we all do need to start focusing around how do we work collectively together? Right. Uh, on these big issues. Housing affordability is a big issue here in this region. And so, you know, if we can all look at those of us that are in this space and have means to do that, how do we actually help to become the voice for those voiceless? But we also can put some dollars behind what needs to happen. We can change some policies to support, to make sure that this becomes the most equitable region that there is in this country. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I would say is important. And this movement that we have around whether I'm in the philanthropic space or the business space or the nonprofit space, we all have a, a place at the table yep. around making this work well. Absolutely. And yeah. as evidenced by the fact that Aetna and CVS just announced that they're putting $67 million into affordable housing. Yes. Kaiser was already in Absolutely. play there. Other health entities are Care in play in that Absolutely. space, recognizing it as a determinant of health, yes. as a determinant of community wellness and advancement and an opportunity to uplift, not just for now, yeah. but sustainably into the future. So Absolutely. I think that the, you're not the only ones making the investment, and it's, right. you know that, um, but the listeners should be aware as well that this is not just a philanthropic philanthropic play Mm -hmm. it's or a developer play or Mm -hmm. a government play Mm -hmm. it's other entities that understand that serving people requires that we serve them completely and housing is such an important piece of that because so much of what we do with our lives comes out of our homes that's right where where we live as part of that play so thank you so much dr henson for being part of the show today so not being part of the show for being my guest on the show today um you've been listening to dr madey henson the ceo of the washington regional association for grant makers talking about affordable housing primarily and there's a whole bunch of other junctional thinking nuggets that were buried in there but hopefully you enjoyed this conversation my name is pierre vigilance i'm your host and you've been listening to full service radio broadcasting live from the line hotel in adams morgan washington dc and we will see you next time